You are now listening to Carly's Couch. I'm Carly. And I'm Lex. In this podcast, we discuss a wide array of topics about life and how to live your best life. Whatever that looks like for you. (laughs) Hope y'all enjoy. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Hopefully that you're listening to this when it comes right out. I am Alexia Clincy. And I am Carly Carpio. Hello, everybody. We ain't never opened the podcast weekend. like that. We have not. <laughs> Welcome to Carly's Couch, except we're standing up today. I got a new standing desk, so we are going to put this to use. <laughs> Welcome to Alexia's standing desk. <laughs> right. <rest>. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Alexia's standing desk today. Um, with it being Father's Day week, we hope everybody had a good Father's Day yesterday or, or was able to have good reflections of Father. And if not, you know, just enjoyed your Sunday. So... <laughs> Uh, this week, um, we definitely have a special guest. Today is your day uh, to chat with Mr. Ambrose Clancy Jr. <laughs> He's like, man, why did I sign up for this? Right? <laughs> He's been the full fanfare, though. The full fanfare. Look, I ain't never had this much fun on the podcast. <laughs> Just FYI. It hasn't begun yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All righty. So, um, Dad, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. We were curious, just in general, right, about some of the things that you have stood out in your life and, and different areas and just how that has shaped you and then how you may have or tried or tried not to pass that along as well um, through your kids, through your life, through other, your friends, and, you know, just the, the people that you've been able to touch as well. So the first thing that I wanted to ask you is what things are you glad that your parents did instill in you, like as an adult, when you kind of think back, because as kids, of course, you never want to really, you know, pay attention to your parents that much, but (laughs) <laughs> Looking back, <laughs> not to make it weird. <laughs> not just laughing at <laughs> Right. Why, why, I don't know why that was funny. Um, but what, what are you glad that your parents instilled in you? First, I'm very happy and thankful that I had a mom and a dad. Because we're in a time where that's a not a given. But one of the biggest things I'm proud of of my parents is that they made an emphasis to be my parents and not my friend. And by that, I don't mean that they didn't love me or anything, but there was some harshness. And I think if you're gonna be a good parent, there's some times when you're not gonna be very popular if you're doing it right. And I always say, you be the parent now. And on the other side, you can be greatest of friends. And I think there's a huge lack of discipline in some families. Um, now you've probably heard some of these stories, Lexi, but there's been a few years ago, this little girl was in with her mom in Walmart and she's I want it mom I want it her mom said, no baby you can't have it I want it mom you can't have it I want it mama and her mom went over there and got a ego dollar and I just shook my head because my mom could have just looked at me I want it mom I want it mom and people will say well what was it with the look there was a consequence that went with the look uh, or discipline, but we sometimes fail to realize that we're shaping a whole generation by what we do. And sometimes the easy way is the hard way and the hard way is the easy way. And that was a long answer to your question, but um, I'm just thankful that I had parents 
that I thought was so hard at times, but I look back and I think every day, thank God for them because that's what made the difference. That's one of a thousand that I could tell. And so how did it feel for you 30, 30 something years later for you at, when you became a father, what did you feel? That was very, very diplomatic and stealth of you not giving away your age, but I'll, I'll take it from no, there. I, look, it's not that. I just can't do the math. <laughs> I just can't do the math that fast. <laughs> it's something about when you have a child for the first time in your life, there's a life much more important than yours. It's, now, I'll jump in a car for Alberta as well, but it's something innately different than a child. I remember, Mom tells stories now when I was carrying you and tripped over something and I took a bump and thorns and everything else because I had you just like this. There's something about something being much, much more important than you. And quick story, you guys stop me if I'm rambling, but Alexia, one of the, this goes with your first question, one of the biggest things that I went through, I had two detached retinas. And there was a possibility that I was gonna be blind and you were, weren't even a year old yet. And when you're laying there with your eyes bandaged with the possibility of not seeing again, first of all, is this goes to this is not my life. And I may not ever see my little girl again or, but it was one of the most difficult parts of my life when you're laying in the hospital and you don't know what time of day it is or what time of night it is. But it's interesting what matters when you're in a certain situation, I could care less where I live, what my address is. I could care less what kind of car I drove. I could care less how many zeros were in my bank account or if there were any zeros there at all. I just wanted to see. And when those bandages came out, especially at the second detached retina, I couldn't see. And it's as if you don't want the bandage to ever come off because as long as they're unwrapping, there's hope there. But when it finally came off and I couldn't see, and days passed and days passed, and then it began to come back unclear. And day by day, it got a little bit clearer. And people thought I was crazy because I would sit and look in grass for hours. And they, what is wrong with him? And it's not that I'd never seen grass before, but I could tell you every shade of green, every hue, every serration, every vein. I was seeing old things with new eyes. And what that taught me, when I'm having a hard day even now, I can just shut up, slap myself. You can see, you can walk. Someone can't move below their neck, their quadrant. It's always a blessing somewhere. There's always something to be thankful for. And it, it's amazing how so many times we sing the blues and there's a whole world, it's so many, you can see, you can hear, you can walk, you can read, you can go somewhere, you can, and oftentimes, and I know there's medical reasons for this also, but I found usually when you're really super depressed, you're thinking too much about yourself. And we're blessed to be a blessing. And those are the times you go to a, a nursing home, go to a hospital, talk to somebody. And that lesson, and part B of that lesson is I learned that you go through things in life sometimes that aren't very pleasant. And sometimes you go through and it has absolutely nothing to do with you. Sometimes you go through things because it prepares you to make a 
difference in someone else's life. After my detached retinas, I've had so many people that came in my life who were going through the same thing, blind, some people partially blind, and you're able to make a difference because this isn't something you learned in a university. It's not something you read in a book. It's something you live and it's, it's guttural. And when you talk to them, it makes a difference because you're not just telling them something you read, you've been there, you've done that. And that's in everything. That could be in loss of a job. That can be in loss of a life. That can be in anything that you've been through. It sort of hones your radar to be able to see that in other people. And you can say, come here, let me talk to you. And it gives hope. Again, another long answer to a very short question. But what's funny is because I learned something because I didn't know you couldn't, um, even after the surgery that you couldn't see for a while. Oh, oh yeah. And that's that's... That's a harsh thing. If you close your eyes for a few minutes and realize that these minutes are the rest of my life is an eternity. And it's interesting that sometimes it's those things that we think are our downfall or our deficiencies is where our greatest strength lies as far as other people and making a difference with them. Um, it's amazing the things that we think are the things that prevent us from doing anything or excelling are the same things that are the ignition for us to go forward. I appreciate you sharing that perspective. And it sounds like you have so many life lessons and so much wisdom. And so our first question was what things, you know, did your parents instill in you that you're really grateful for? But then this question is like with your children, were there specific things that you really wanted to instill in them? Like certain things you wanted to make sure that they learned and got? Yes. One of the things that Alberta and I, my wife and I, we were firm believers that the school wasn't there to educate our kids. There were a partner. It was our job as parents to educate our kids. And one of the things that we did, we tried to expose them to a lot of things where that we could develop a hunger for learning, a hunger for books, a hunger for education, where they, they weren't made to do it, but they got to do it. And Alexia and Ashton and Addison, they all love books. And we also wanted to give them experiences. I remember when I first went to college and I, I played tennis and there was a lot of guys, black people don't play tennis, man, play basketball, you play football. And it's, there was this perception of what black was. You have to have 50 chains, 18 gold teeth and uh, be able to not let your subject and verb agree. And then you are bona fide black. Um, but I wanted to expose them to culture. Um, of course, Christianity was a big factor in it. Lexi took piano, you that. Addison took violin. Ashton took karate. And I just wanted to take them to do a lot of things. We went skiing. Uh, my wife's from the Bahamas, so we went to different cultures. It was so interesting the first time we take them during Christmas time and see this little bitty skinny black Santa Claus. Like, hey, Santa. Um, to get in a plane and the pilot is black, the, the steward is black and just see excellence. And I don't mean to make this a, a race thing because it should be, it doesn't really matter to me, but I wanted them to see excellence and I wanted them to embrace it and code all of that. But I wanted them to have fun. I wanted to have memories for them. So as you get older, and life slams you as it will. I want them to be able to play the reels in their mind of the good times. Man, you remember when mom did this? You remember dad did this? You remember when we did that? So I wanted to give them a lot of great memories. 
So that's interesting because one of the next things that I had that I wanted to ask you about is how is a recognizing the role that music, art, theater, different types of art forms um, and being exposed to those different things are very clear to me um, and to us from growing up with you. And so I wanted to know that being from Memphis, Tennessee in the 50s, um, and getting to that space where that is something that you saw as very important and to instill into us, how did you kind of get to that point? How did you get to a space where uh, you, that resulted in you having such a broad range of those types of like experiences? My dad had a third grade education, but he was determined him along with my mom that his three kids were gonna have an education. And it's not something that he learned. It was almost an instinctive thing that we, he made us turn the TV off. If he was working with the car, he would call me and I was so miserable watching this. You never know the things you learn just by proxy, just by showing up, just by being there. Um, my dad, made me take piano lessons. I started at four and took them from four to 19. I hated it then. I got called everything when I was in school. Look at that little punk classic. Look at that kid, they're playing basketball and going to play all kind of ball and fun. I got to go take piano lessons and do C scales. That's sissy. And I felt so bad and I wanted to quit so, so, so many times. My dad wouldn't let me. My dad didn't want to be friend. Okay, you can quit. That stopped a little bit when I got to junior high because girls like guys who can play piano. So then the guys started, man, show me a chord, man, show me, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he didn't let me quit. And I'm very thankful because I can't, I can sit down and play and people will always, oh, I wish I could play. And my answer is you're still breathing, you're still alive, you can. Um, but I love that he didn't let me quit because there's so many people who will say, I wish I could play piano. I wish I could. I, I wish I could. I didn't have a choice. I would have quit if I wanted to, but he didn't let me quit. And he exposed me to that. Um, a lot of things he exposed me to un, unbeknownst. My dad loved to, for lack of a better word, hold court. I listened to him talk and have conversations. And with the third grade education, I remember him calling my sister, help him read things. And he always was trying and always trying. We have, and I don't want to make this sound materialistic. Our house is the most beautiful house on the block. My dad, we went from a shotgun house to my father deciding, okay, let's build a house. How do you do that with a third grade education? I mean, he has, the older I get, the smarter he gets. And it has nothing to do with academics. It's a tenacity and common sense I'm trying to find a definitive thing they did. It was a lot of little things. Also, I had a lot of mentors. They were a very, very big presence at all the schools and the teachers knew my parents, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I couldn't get away with anything like that. But I had people that saw things in me, even at a young age. In the eighth grade, Coach Blanchard, who was a basketball coach, him and the counselor, they took me asked me if I wanted to go to a concert because they knew I played piano. And it was Arthur Rubenstein. And Arthur Rubenstein is a great, great pianist from the 18, late 1800s. And he was playing in Memphis, Tennessee. I didn't 
think anything of it then. I actually took a little cassette tape and take, had a tape recording of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a historic thing. I had people do things like that for me. I've had librarians who took me in because I was always there looking at the books. You know, you start with the picture books. And there's something about living up to expectations when people have expectations of you. That's 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 Clint's kid. That's Mr. Clint, that's Mr. Clint's kid. And I, you know, there, we talk about peer pressure a lot. There were no peer pressures that affected me more than my mom and dad and my expectations. You came from such a strong foundation and you mentioned all the expectations, you know, that people had on you. And I'm sure you've had for yourself, you know, as you've grown throughout your life. Um, in what ways did your life go the way you planned it? Like did, did you envision yourself here? No, it didn't go anywhere like I planned it. But, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. I wanted to be a contemporary composer. I wanted to be Burt Bacharach. I, even after college, I was a biology chemistry major, thinking I was going to be an ophthalmologist. And, you know, you never know where your blessings coming from. I wanted to be a doctor originally, and I'll come back to Burt Bacharach. I wanted originally to be a doctor because my dad wanted a doctor. And I learned you can't do something because someone else wants you to. I would have been a miserable doctor. Um, so, but I don't think the biology and the chemistry was a waste of time. And I'm so blessed because my practice would have been ruined because of my detached retinas, because of my depth perception. So that would have been null and void. But I went out of college, graduated one day, and the next day I was working at a company called Washington Industries, and I was in apparel. And I loved it because we were designing, we were merchandising, and I got to travel a lot of places. I got to travel to New York every few months, San Francisco, um, Los Angeles. I got to go to Quebec, to go to fashion shows, and I loved it. I enjoyed that. Um, there's a shelf life to things like that, though. After my job, and there's, there's backstories, a lot of this that there won't be time for. After that, I went to Kentucky. And I worked with the Jean House where I designed and merchandised jeans and activewear. And I got to North Carolina in 89 because I was the senior designer of Gerber's children's wear, children's wear, which I can do, but wasn't natural. I like doing men's clothes. So that's how I actually got here. It was apparel. And you never know what you're going to be doing. And in a way, that's a beauty to it. I have many friends who are doctors, who, and some of them are miserable. So it's this thing where you get to a point and you got to have money to live, but you get to a point, it's not about the money. It's about trying to make a difference in people. And that's such a joy that comes from that and just making a difference in somebody's life and touching them and asking the question, how can I give someone a larger vision of themselves? Because so many people are thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not short enough, I'm not fit enough. If only I had a weight list, if only I do, you know. There was a cartoon I saw when I was a little boy, and I don't know why it stuck in my head. These kids were stuck on an island with this man and they wanted to get off and they were trying to build a raft and they kept saying, but we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this, we don't have this. And the gentleman looked at them and said, I had to be six years old, I don't know why this stuck. Learn to use what you have got so you won't need what you have not. And that always stuck with me as far as, there's always gonna be some limitations. Okay, so what? What are you gonna do with it? How are you gonna maneuver? And it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about prestige. 
which means it's not about me. And if you can start with the premise that it's not about me, I think you're halfway there. I got about 10 future podcasts, uh, notes right? for, for the next right. ones. Right. Um, move around a little bit with some of these. Um, how would you say you were able to balance work and family? So especially when, um, from most of my memory, like mom worked like third shift, you work first shift. So it was good that there was always somebody who could be there. Um, but definitely recognize that everybody was working pretty hard, but then also walking past the uh, volunteer room and seeing people at the school and like, why y'all, same thing you just said about your parents, why y'all talking to the teachers sitting in the back of my class. Um, but how were you able to balance all of that once you had a family? You can do whatever's important to you. And you guys were important to us. It goes back to what I was saying. The school is an addendum to your education. And also there's this thing about if you have a presence in your child's life, if they don't know when I'm gonna be at the school, if they don't know if Mr. Clancy is walking in the class, you get a certain attention that may be lacking in other places because I've tried and mom tried to build expectations that I want you to do whatever's necessary to help educate my daughter. It wasn't like we dropped you off and they never saw us. They talked to us. We'd see them in the market and other places. Um, as far as the balancing, it, as I said, it wasn't hard because you guys were homeschooled for a while. And in homeschooling, I look at it as you guys were always homeschooled because we were always looking for the teachable moment. If we're baking a cake, we talk about measurements. We talk about where did this come from, the farm. If we're driving, we talk about, and I turn on the lights, we talk about light, speed of light. So it was always that teachable moment to try to build that curiosity up. And, and oftentimes I did that unknowing. It was just the way we operated in the house, whether we were singing a song or when I'd get a storybook for you, Lexi, and I, I'd get the piano or, and write music to the story, the snowy day, and, and you guys, had a love affair with reading and with knowing and an inquisitive minds because it was fun. I, I tried to make it fun. But again, the answer was you guys were important to me, so it wasn't hard to balance. And there were times when I wasn't working that, you know, even things you think are the hard parts are blessings because I was there at very opportune times. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that you've been married for 41 years. So first of all, congratulations on 41 years. Um, Thank you. There, you're so welcome. Is there a secret to, you know, relationships and love and keeping things that last that long or any advice that you can give, you know? Relationships like anything worthwhile takes work. And just like when I was learning how to play the piano, there are days when I don't want to practice. This is hard. I don't like this. Uh, I don't want to do this. Can I quit? No. Um, storms pass. And sometimes people make a permanent decision for a temporary issue. There are always going to be some difficulties. There are people who you have people who aren't married who want to be married. You have people who are married who, who want not to be married. And 
you have to kind of go into your core and find out what's important. It's it's not about one romance. People go into marriage sometimes think it's going to be one big romance thing, and there's nothing romantic about dirty diapers or uh, paying the bills or losing a job or it's there's so many things. So the answer to your question is, and Alberta will tell you this: when we first got married, I told her divorce is not an option. It's not an option. And um, that doesn't mean that I've been the best of husbands at times, the best of dads, everybody, everybody mess up. Everybody drops the ball. Everybody doesn't do everything. But again, everybody is human. And I think one of the worst things people can do is try to have a persona that I never made a mistake. I never thought like that. I never did that. I never would have done that. I never. First of all, no one can connect with you because it's those vulnerabilities that builds connectivity. So to answer your question, she can't go anywhere because I'd follow her and hopefully she would follow me. Um, and also after 41 years, you've got such a history. <laughs> and you know, she can finish my sentence and I can finish hers. And I love the fact that she will always defend me and I will always defend her. You know, you can keep things in families, but I've heard so many, uh, so many husbands and wives, you hear them saying such negative things in public about their wife or their husband or that. And I don't care how angry I may be or how angry Alberta would be, I will never speak negatively about her in public or in the workplace or things like that. And we hear it often. So it's a mutual respect and the ability to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, I'm sorry. And that goes both ways. So there's a few things you said that stood out as far as vulnerability, um, recognizing that everybody does make mistakes um, and apologizing. And I think all of that does for sure make sense, but definitely, I, I would definitely still say to acknowledge that there's a lot of situations where it's just as important to know when you do need to not be there too. So, um, and that doesn't even have to just be about uh, violence yeah. or anything, but you know, sometimes, sometimes I don't know. I, I would just point out that I feel that sometimes staying together can be even more detrimental and for a lot of people. And maybe that's, they didn't make good decision-making in the first place, but. Well, I, I think any, no one should be in, an abusive relationship. That's where I think it's crucially important to really try to be like-minded during the courtship. And you have to be very wise about that because anybody can morph into anybody <laughs> that they mm -hmm. want to be. Women fall in love with guys because how they make them feel about themselves, not about how I feel about you. How do you make that young lady feel about herself? How does she feel when she's with you? Does she feel like she can do anything? She can move mountains. Does she feel like, yes, I can make this corporation work? Do you feed her dreams? Do you, it's not, a, the superficial fades away. It's that internal, how do you make them feel? How do they feel about you? Even when you're both broke and you have one sandwich and a quarter left, how can you make her laugh? How can she make you laugh? There are times when I, we first got married, 
our Bertha and I, we held hands and we walked down the street to go to the pizza place. And we just, it was in the snow. We didn't have anything, but it was, it's amazing how you can romanticize times that most people think are the most hardest, the most difficult times. But try to be with somebody who can help you grow. And again, I don't want to get overly religious about this. I always say, marry somebody that can help you get to heaven, okay? Uh, someone who can make God wink and smile at you. There's so much within that. And, and don't just look for the person you want, be the person you want. Because so many times people are looking for something that they aren't. And don't depend on someone else for your happiness. We're all responsible for our own happiness. We love each other, but you're responsible for your own happiness. But I agree with you about the abusive relationships. There's, there's a time for, there's a time for things. And there's, there's no universal answer to that, in my opinion. Every situation can be different. I think sometimes it's important when you talk about advice or uh, mindsets of approach to things that sometimes it's less about trying to give you an answer that works for everything, but more about, well, what are some things to consider when you approach it? Um, and so I, I know I sometimes when speaking with people tend to be contrary, like if somebody's speaking to something, then I want to kind of broaden it out um, to thinking about other sides of it as well, or to think, at least make sure, like, are we pigeonholed into one particular train of thought, or are we open to um, at least having conversation about things, which I think is important. Um, only got a couple more questions for you. Well, let me piggyback on that for one second. One thing I always tell people as far as when they're giving the advice, I always tell people, always be aware of people who give advice when they're removed from the consequences of that advice. It's very easy to give advice when you're removed from the consequences. That's as far as relationships, this, that, or anything else, because you'd be very careful if you told Carly, if she had a boyfriend and she broke up with him, I didn't like him to begin with. But when they got back together, then, you know, be very careful about the, that information. But I agree with you. Go ahead. You were about to say something else in another vein. The next question I wanted to ask is, what would you say, how can people set themselves up to live a life of purpose? There's a good book called The Purpose Driven Life. And highly recommend it. And the whole premise is what I said earlier, to realize it's not about me. Purpose is not about me. And also, and I'm going to get a little religious because that's who I am. The person who gives you purpose is the one that created you. Okay. And our purpose is to make a difference in other people's lives. And that can be in a multitude of ways, in a, in a multitude of ways in different careers. You don't have to be a CEO to do that. You could be the person pushing the broom. And I've met a lot of people when I've gone to corporations that I speak to everybody. And sometimes you learn more from that person than anybody else. We have this, this tendency when we meet people, what do you do? And what do you do comes long before how do you do? And even when they say what they do, 
we have this image and we already processed this for us, their thought process, their intellect, uh, their how much money they make, how they, we make this whole, and it's, as Gershwin would say, it ain't necessarily so. Um, but you had to realize it's not about yourself. And I think after that, you can flourish. There's another little book called Try Giving Yourself Away. And it's about everything. If you're in a restaurant, and you know I talk to everybody. If it's a wonderful meal, can I see the chef? I'll talk to them. I'll tell them that was magnificent. That cost me nothing to do that. But it made that person's day. And sometimes they'll send something out as far as desserts or something, things of that nature. But it's, it's so many things that we can give and is given of ourselves that we withhold because we don't think like that. Um, just telling some a smile. Thank you. I appreciate you. Wow, you did that good. I wish I could do it. Like things like that make a huge difference in somebody's life. And thanks for dropping the books. I haven't ever heard of the second one, so I'm definitely about to get that right after uh, we get off this. I can give you all kind of books. <laughs> Great one. Oh, Man's Search for Excellence. Oh, yeah, we've read Frank. that. Yeah, we've read it. Tuesdays with Maury. What does that Albert. say? I can't see it because of the camera. Well, what Tuesday, is it? It's Tuesday with Maury. Mm. Mitch Agum. I recommended this one to you, Lex. I don't think you've read it yet, though. Into the Magic Shop. No, I haven't Great. heard of that one. You Great don't tell me book. nothing about that. Great book. Is that one a nonfiction? All these that I gave you are nonfiction. Oh, okay. It sounded a little Harry Potterish. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like a good fiction, book. though. So I, I, my thing is, I like to dad because we, you know, we all still love to read. Um, but I like to get a have a nonfiction and a fiction that I'm working on at the same time because sometimes you can only do so much like nonfiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, and then sometimes it's like, I just need to relax or like, you know, yeah. instead of watching TV, it's like, no, no brainer. Yeah. yeah, like, you don't need to be thinking that hard all the time, but it's still entertaining. So that's so funny. I was I was supposed to bring you a book today because on my last flight back, I bought a book at the airport and I was like, oh, this is a good fiction one. You would like this. Oh, for me? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Because, yeah, sometimes it's harder to find a good fiction. Um, so thank you for those so recommendations. I'll have to run that back. So many books, too little time, so many books. Yeah, and it was funny because when you were talking about being in the library earlier, um, one of my first thoughts too while you were saying that, I was like, man, they still be calling you about books you need to take back. <laughs> you used, used to try to be buddy-buddy with the librarians because you kept having the books for extra four months. <laughs> like we used to have a whole stack. <laughs> like, like I, all right, now, Mr. I, Clinton, I'm going to let you slide and take another one. Had a whole stack at home. Well, you know what? You know what? There's a thing about consequences that I said earlier. In Memphis, I never was late with the library book because there were library fines. In North Carolina, there are no library fines. Yeah, so you keeping all of them things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to take advantage of it. And I, I have one that's doing now, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all I need is a book, a beach, and a breeze, and I'm I'm in heaven. All right, here we go. Carl, you wrap us up. Yeah. Okay. So one more question, and I'm I'm intrigued. So can you please tell us the story about Elvis getting you beat up? Well, hmm. okay, I'll tell you about Elvis. It was 1974, a balmy evening. I took karate at a place called Tennessee Karate in Memphis. <clears throat> and I, it was a few months before I was going to college. 
And I didn't realize that Elvis owned this school. Um, he had got Bill Wallace, who was the world middleweight champion who was teaching there. And he actually came up and Elvis was there and it was understood, nobody hits Elvis, nobody touch Elvis. But Elvis has a brother, um, is a stepbrother and he was big guy. And it was my time to spar. Well, before that, we were watching everybody just doing our routines and I did a cot and I did some sparring. And Elvis said, when I came in, you look good out there. And I, that was appreciative. I wasn't starstruck. But later on, I pushed it. And I had this theatrical part about me. And I started singing behind him. If you are locked in your sleep, I'll don't mention my name. And he just looked at me with such a disdain. You little fool, what is wrong with you? I was 17. And I didn't think anything about that. I thought, okay. But it was my time to fight. And his, his, uh, brother his name is david stanley he's a motivational speaker now he's wrote a book how that he used to be with the king but now he only serves one king telling the god but his name was david stanley you can google him but it was a long blonde kid big kid and i was supposed to spar him and i did taekwondo but because he was from another school he had another style of karate called kempo and he beat the living daylights out of me. And he just, and I was the best in my class. I'm sorry, I was. He just, and I found out later, David Stanley was talking to my business partner because I told my business partner this. Oh yeah, I remember him, kid with big afro, yeah. Elvis told me to rough him up. So Elvis told his brother to rough me up and give me a hard time. I think because I was actually I was trying to pay him homage by singing behind him, but it was because I guess I was using his voice. Also, you. So that's my Elvis story. Elvis had me beat up, I say, but you know, I'm going to say that <laughs> by his brother and his brother. I need a little too much, and we'll verify it. <laughs> but, uh, David Stanley, his brother, Google him. <laughs> Appreciate that story. Uh, appreciate you, Dad, for being on the podcast. Clearly, uh, with all the different directions that you can take questions and, and talk about your life stories and lessons, we could have our own podcast just with you, actually. For sure. <laughs> or you could, you could have your own podcast if you wanted to. Absolutely. So I know we could have went a lot, a lot of different it's other funny. places. My, my business partner and I were talking about that. And again, I, I'm a dinosaur, so I don't know the technical wherewithal to actually engage with that. But so at the very end of our podcast, we do two things and we're going to do that in close. First of all, we usually do a shout out to um, anybody or anything that we want to acknowledge. So today with you being our guest, we want to acknowledge you, appreciate you being on the show with us this week. Um, and also, I would say to branch that out to all the fathers and, you know, happy Father's Day week to all of you as well. Um, is there anything that you would want to plug or say um, about you? About me? I do not have anything to plug except to, you're my plug. Um, I could plug some stuff now. I, I would just tell people that, you remember in college when you had to have a, a quote, it was some gathering, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and your quote was, be the change you want to see. Uh-huh. That's what I would leave you. Try to make a difference. 
And it's not always about money. It's not always about magnanimous things. It's the simplest things. And one of the things I would say is when you try to make a difference, first of all, sometimes do things anonymously. But second, one, don't always have to see the results of it. Plant the seeds. Continue. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we lose so much because we do things and we want to get accolades from it or we want someone to appreciate. I did that for her and she didn't even say her. No, do right, fear no one. And just life is, can be so beautiful and just count your blessings. You know, there's so many things. If you walk into a, a home in the cold of winter and you smell a wonderful meal and it's warm. If you're walking in the fall and the leaves are dancing and just blowing, and you can feel that vibrance of that cool. It's so many simplistic things that if you'll open yourself up to and be aware of, that just makes you just feel so alive and vibrant. And it makes a difference in other people's life. Help other people get a larger vision of themselves, I would say. And the odd thing about it, it helps you get the same thing for yourself. You know, so thank you. Um, happy Father's Day to all the people who you. stepped in. You are so welcome. We, I love your kids. They're awesome. So shout out to you and, and Albertha. <laughs> shout out um, to you. <laughs> you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for all you do, Carly. But also um, shout out to all the people who have stepped up as fathers who might not have their own children, but who have been father figures as someone who didn't grow up with a dad. Yes. I really appreciate all of those uncles, grandfathers, teachers, coaches, you know, people who play the role when somebody's not actively there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really important to me. So shout out to Absolutely. y'all as well. Absolutely. And then we always end with the question of the week. And so I'm going to shoot it to you first, Mr. Clancy. What is the most interesting thing that you have read or seen this week? Most interesting thing I have read or seen? That's an interesting question because I I see beauty and everything everywhere. But of course, reading would be my nonfiction, my Mitch Rapp book and my (laughs) yesterday that was the most interesting thing i'm very patriotic i have a son who's a captain in the military and i'm one of the guys who stands up and put my hand over my heart Um, i love the military i I love my country i just love growing and that's what i want to do i just want to i don't ever want to get tired of reaching out whether it's traveling and the culinary the meals of this country i just it's so fun just to grow and grow and grow and just to be able to have a conversation about anything or nothing and enjoy life, enjoy people. And that's easier to do again, when the focus isn't on me. How do you sound? How did you look? I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder if they agree with you. I want just jettison. Everybody is so unique and there's only one you never have been, never will be a you. And one of the biggest things that traps that people fall in, they want to be someone else or be like somebody, be you. You're the best you and no one can ever touch that. And there's just a wealth of of glory and wonderfulness and wisdom within you just waiting to come out. Okay. So Carly, for you, what's the most important thing that you've read or seen this week? Um, I heard something on a podcast, but then I read it in second source because you can't always believe the things that you hear. So I went in second source and 
Um, of the things that we remember and the memories that we have of our lives, up to 80% of them like didn't actually happen the way that we thought that they did. Like our brains oftentimes change things to fit certain narratives and stuff that we have. But I was, I was like mind blown that it's like up to 80% of things like aren't, didn't happen how we thought they did. I was like, yo, that's wild. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. But I can see how that happens too, because we just, it's like our brains are always trying to fill in the dots, Mm -hmm. fill in the blanks rather. Um, of things um there's a book i gave you on that recently what'd you say there's a book that i recommended to you about that exact same thing about 10 people seeing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. is for instance if you ever looked at the video the invisible gorilla Mm -mm. you have to google that we see what we expect to see it's like what what was it he came back to this lady's funeral (laughs) <laughs> so first of all he killed the lady but she i don't know what she was trying to do and that's why everybody's like what did this lady do to this elephant so the the lady was unfortunately killed by the elephant but then like a week or two weeks later the elephant returned to the funeral and then still to make, went, to, to make sure she's dead and he trampled. went the elephant went to the funeral and trampled, trampled the lady more but then left and didn't touch nobody else so everybody was like what did this lady do i saw i read <laughs> But sorry, go ahead. I got excited. Go ahead. Where's this story? I want to follow up on this one. No, so it, it's something that a lot of people are talking about online, and then it just get, went to everybody kind of talking about elephants' memories and how, um, like they never forget something, and like they're supposed to be the most grudgy, grudge holding animals. So everybody's like, "Man, what did this lady do?" Because not only did you kill her, but you came back <laughs> and then stumped on her and left. <laughs> so that was the funniest thing that I read. Well, let me not call it funny, but it was interesting. For sure to me so uh everybody's been talking about elephants all week because of that <laughs> supposedly the lady um like ha- had something to do with her children the elephant's children getting poached mm. or something like that and so it's a mother so not only elephant rage but a mother's oh. rage mm-hmm. but that's just so interesting that he didn't forget he's a he's always oh, what time i'm gonna come back <laughs> bro all those stories about those elephants are hilarious like they <laughs> they do not forget and they are petty like they will come back for you yeah i was like man y'all that's a lot um so thank you mr clincy happy father's Welcome. day um where's my gift to all the list oh it's in the ma- <sighs> hey you get supposed to have got something today and then you get two no, one thing today, something comes tomorrow, and then something gets there on Monday. Okay. <laughs> you didn't get it. You didn't get the first part today. I got something. I didn't open it. I don't know who it's from. Uh, you probably should open it. If it's Is for it you, huh? Yeah, I'll open it tomorrow morning. No, no, no. If if it's to you, you need to open it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's alive. If it's if it's, it's alive. Yeah, if it's what you got today, but then something comes tomorrow and Monday. So that being said, and for the listeners, by the time you hear this, um, it's already been past Father's Day. He's already hopefully gotten his <laughs> gifts. Otherwise, I need to be putting some return orders in. <laughs> um, thank you for being on the podcast. My and pleasure. Thank you guys for inviting me. I really appreciate that. I had fun. And we hope and everybody be- has a great day. And what, what else you got to say? How long will it yeah. take for my check arrive? <laughs> Quick. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Uh, right. Love you guys. Over. Love you Thank too. You. Bye.